Welcome to the latest episode of the Brushbuilders Union podcast. I'm your host and general president of the Brushbuilders Union, Simon Berman. And this month, I am speaking with professional painter Eric Swinson. Eric, thanks for coming on. How are you doing? Good, man. How are you? I'm good. You know, it's uh, it's a Friday night. I'm kind of winding down. It's been a long week, but it's been a good one. But uh, I'm excited to talk to you about painting and stuff. Sweet. Yeah, man. I'm excited uh, to be on. Get to yeah. talk about what talk about what we all love. So, you know, you've been, you've been painting for quite a while. I think you may, people may have seen your work around. Um, you've been doing some painting classes at like the Nova Open and stuff in the past and entering competitions. You've done some really beautiful work. I know I, I'd seen some stuff and I realized like, oh, I know that guy. Yeah, it's been a pretty successful year uh, for me. I've had uh, a great time going to a few different shows this year. And yeah, it's been, it's been, it's been wild. So where are you based out of? I'm out of Virginia. Uh, Virginia, Virginia Beach, Virginia. Oh, right on. So the Nova Open's kind of your backyard almost. Yeah, it's uh, up north, northern part of Virginia in D.C., so it's, it's a few hours drive, but it's the closest, closest thing I got. Yeah, no, no doubt. That's a great show. i got to get out there sometime myself. Yeah, it's a really good uh, show. The painting community there is awesome. A lot of great instructors come out and teach classes, and it's all done for charity, so... Yeah, I know Dave Taylor uh, does some stuff out there. There's actually a little uh, like informal Brushbuilders Union meet up there at the, at the event last year or this year. Yeah, it's, uh, hopefully, hopefully next year's just as exciting. It's, uh, it's growing like crazy, and gonna, they're going to run out of space pretty soon here. Yeah, <laughs> have, to, have to find some other location, or it keeps going the way it does. Right on. So you know, uh, I know you're a competitive painter, but you know, is is that how you think of yourself? As a as a manager's painter, primarily as a competitive guy, or do you have a kind of a more broad focus? I mean, I, I would consider myself more of a display painter now than a competitive painter or you know uh, tabletop painter. Um, what do you What do you mean by display painter? I, I I paint miniatures specifically to put in the cabinet. Right, they're not meant for gaming as much anymore. I still find time to paint miniatures for gaming i paint a lot of kingdom death models um occasionally i'll you know dip my toe into another tabletop game i don't play as many as i used to because i'm more focused on painting models specifically for display and competition is a good way for me to set goals for myself and push myself to go further now that makes perfect sense so you know, you're 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 only taking more of an an artist's approach at this point than um you know sort of a gamer utilitarian. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's. I enjoy. I found that I enjoyed painting more than I did playing. So it was just the next evolution of that. Yeah, that makes sense. I think I think a fair number of people kind of end up in that place, even even if they don't admit that to themselves, where they, you know they they're they're painting whole armies for the pure joy of doing it, but not they're you know they may never even play a game with it. You know, I think I have I have a few models that probably have never seen the table myself. Yeah, I've definitely painted entire, you know, units or uh, all these models for, you know, I played War Machine, I played Warhammer 40k, and I get it all painted up, and I put it on the table once, and then it goes back in the bag. <laughs> sure. How, did, how Can you tell a little bit about how you got to that point with your, you know, how, what was your journey like as a painter? Because it sounds like you did start out painting models to play with them. Uh, before you started doing those pure works of art, and you know, how, how did that kind of start for you? Well, before I got into miniature painting, I was into like regular scale model building. So I I, re- I actually started with Gundams like twenty years ago or something. Uh, when I was in my teens, I painted Gundam models. Uh, 
And then I kind of, sort of fell out of that for a little while. And then a buddy of mine came to me and was like, hey, man, I know you like painting Gundam models. What do you, there's this game, Warhammer 40K, where you get to paint models and tanks and mechs and then play a game with them. So that's, he ended up hooking me into that. That's cool. So, you know, um, what, what was your first sort of introduction to hobby gaming miniatures? Uh, I I bought, so I dove straight in because that's kind of the person I am. I, uh-huh. I, I ended up like finding the army for 40k that I wanted, uh, which was uh, the Death Guard, the Chaos Space Marine Death Guard, and bought a bunch of the Forge World Plague Marines. And was just well, like, you, yeah. you did go in deep, huh? <laughs> yeah, immediately. I was like, these are the ones that look the coolest. I'm buying this. Right on. So you, you just kind of started with Death Guard. Did you find that the uh, the skills you would had as a, as a scale modeler were, were applicable? Oh, yeah. I mean, in terms of assembly, like, I already knew how to use an airbrush before I started painting miniatures. Sure. So, like, base coating and and that kind of thing. Uh, learning, like, lear- learning more skills of using... Uh, I do also have some background in, like, uh, art like traditional uh, art training so I, I've learned to paint on canvas and things so hmm. I, I some of those skills translated but on a much tinier scale so I definitely had to train to use a brush more because I before I had relied mostly on using airbrush using oil washes to pan a line weathering like traditional scale model like mm-hmm. tank stuff so learning to paint tiny eyes and all little de- the little detaily stuff was much right. more of the learning curve there. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so you, so you, you got into the Death Guard and presumably you painted a, a large army of that? I, I actually, I, I spent so much time because of the, I wanted them to look so great. I'd, I immediately, like, as soon as I started, I started looking on sites like Kumini or not and looking at past Golden Demon entries and seeing these, like, beautiful miniatures. So, like, every model, every guy would take me, like, a week. Like, one oh my guy. God. <laughs> one, one, one Space Marine would take me, like, a week. So I think, yeah. I, ended up, I, think I ended up getting, like, one tank uh, and maybe, like, two units and my HQ finished. And then switched to something else. <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna play. Uh, I'm gonna play regular Space Marines now, and then I'm gonna play uh, what else? I picked up some Gray Knights when they came out because I was like, oh, these guys are cool.' And then I think after that, I ended up all my uh, buddies had like switched over to playing War Machine when Mark II came out. So then I got into that. <laughs> yeah. So did, did here's a question: Did you ever finish an army? I have. N- I never finished a 40k <laughs> army. I think I could field like maybe half of a like two thousand point army. So yeah. I probably had like a thousand points worth of stuff painted. But it's beautiful. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I, de- <laughs> I want I want some uh, some little local store like best painted you uh-huh. know unit prize or whatever at the tournaments. But yeah, I never finished a full forty k army. That's that's an endeavor. It, and it, I, it is. And I respect anyone who can finish. Like a massive army, the, I mean, I, to go on a quick tangent, the, uh, I was yeah. uh, I helped judge the armies on parade for Warhammer 40k at Adepticon this past year. Oh yeah, and holy crap, man! Like seeing like 
40,000 points or whatever of, like, four different guys all working together to all paint their armies, and it's, like, uh, all thematic, and then they build these massive tables, and it's oh, just, yeah. like, there's so much work that goes into all of that. And it's, like, like, yeah, maybe not every single individual model is the most beautiful model, but, like, the sheer scale of it and the dedication to paint getting all of that work done it's crazy yeah i mean i i wasn't at adepticon this year but i, I was two years ago and you know um i've been a few times in the past and those the, the armies they bring there are it's it's next level stuff it's nuts i mean it's the guys had like there was one table that had like it was a space wolf army and it had a space hulk like floating it was like on a rod that was like 10 feet in the air above the board where all their oh miniatures God. were displayed. Yeah. <laughs> Another g- group of guys had built like a giant orc stompa thing that was like four feet tall and opened up and could contain their whole army. Yeah, there's some there's some wild stuff out there. I, I, every time I see those, I'm like, I should do one of those. And then I'm like, no, I don't. That's not. That's just not a thing that's going to happen in my life. Yeah, so I, have, I have nothing but respect for people who can pull it off. It's definitely like a, uh, I think that's like a team endeavor kind of thing. Like you got to have somebody else there with you in that undertaking to get that kind of thing done. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so back to what we're saying. So, you know, you, you painted some armies for War Machine and Warhammer. and uh, But I, I guess at some point you transitioned back into um, art pieces and, and display pieces like the modeling kits again. What was what was kind of the, the tipping point for you there? So I'd always been really into like we would always run like a local painting uh at every event we did to encourage like us we do the war machine steamrollers and every steamroller we would do we would choose instead of doing best painted army we would choose like best painted solo this month or best painted unit and we do that to encourage people to get more of their army painted so that hopefully each month if you got one or two pieces done it's slowly over time you'd build up and have a painted army. And after doing that a bunch and winning those a few times, you know, people started to take notice. That was like, hey, your stuff's pretty good. You should try competing. And I started taking the actual painting more serious. And then eventually in 2016, I painted my first, my first like actual competition model for lock and load. That was, that was my last lock and load on staff there. What, what was the model? Uh, I did a Chromac 2. He was like, he was on, um, he had like the, the 10th anniversary stone circle ring behind him. I think him. I remember that piece, yeah. Yeah, it ended up winning gold at lock and load, which was, you know, pretty encouraging. And then, Yeah, uh, that's great. Uh ended up coming back next year like that kind of, that kind of hooked me <laughs> you know? yeah well winning is a good way to, to get hooked i imagine yeah so uh, and at that point i think i just i still paint painted my you know signal army and everything but every year i wanted to push myself more and have an, a new piece for the next competition once you came back from lock and load you, you'd won the piece what, what was sort of your next step were you were you immediately looking for another competition or were you going to wait for the next lock and load or you know what happened next uh, the next, that year I hadn't like dove completely into it. So I did not enter another show. I hadn't been to like any, the only real convention I'd been to at that point is lock and load. Cause I was way into war machine. So I hadn't been to any bigger show like Adepticon or 
the Nova Open because it, that all the other stuff involved, like all the Warhammer stuff, had not really interested me at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so the next show, I didn't I didn't enter another competition until the next year, Lock and Load, twenty seventeen, and that's the year that I won uh, the P three Grandmaster. Right. So so when you were deciding to enter that competition. Um, how did you choose a model to paint for it, and you know what, what was your what was your plan of attack for that? So, I will admit that my planning phase for uh, picking a model for a show, I do not plan that far in advance. I tend to see a model, and it just like calls out to me to paint, and that's just the mo- I just pour myself into that model, and that's the model I present at the show. What was so, it in this case? That was the the Nemo bust with the first bust you got. Uh, you had done Scarb the year before, but that was the year Nemo bust had just released at Adepticon. So I think I had like three months or something to oh, wow. to paint the Nemo bust for Lock and Load coming up. So that's that's the model I ended up doing. That's very cool. Was that your first bust? That was. Yeah, that's really becoming a thing lately, which has been kind of cool to see. Yeah, I think that's a great way. Like if you've if all you've ever painted is 28 millimeter models, uh, picking up one of those and just trying it, you might find that you just like completely fall in love with painting busts or even larger scale figures. Cause I've, I had never painted one and like, I was like, I want to try this. It's a character I love. I'm going to, I'm going to paint this thing up. And I ended up just like loving the entire experience of it. What's the uh, what's the real appeal in it? I haven't done it myself. Uh, it's just there's so much more because it's much larger. You can put a lot more expression into the face. Um, there's a lot more character. Uh, I mean, I I find that I enjoy painting the face most of the time on miniatures. Uh, the little stuff like the little pouches and the back of the miniature and that's gets boring, right? Sure. (laughs) So when you have the most enjoyable part of the model to paint as 90% of the model, it's, it makes the entire experience of painting the model more enjoyable to me. No, I get that. Cause you know, I think, I think when you're painting a 28 millimeter figure, you know, um, the face is usually the most difficult part to paint, but it's once you're done with it, it's when the model really comes alive, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, that's where, that's the main focal point, that's where we look, so it's got the most expression in it, and that it gives you the most opportunity to to show that off. So when you were, when you picked up this, this Nemo bus for the first time, you know, what, what how did you go into that? Were, were you thinking, like, primarily like a 28mm painter at that point, or did you, did you go and, like, learn about painting at a larger scale, or did you just dive right in? I, I feel like most of the, the skills transition... Right, so at that point, if you've learned the fundamental techniques of painting miniatures, like how to blend, where light and shadow goes, um, those kind of brush control, like how to make texture, whatever, you know, those those fundamentals, they transition over. So, like you know how to paint, you just have to paint bigger, and more parts need to be, other parts need to be more detailed. Uh, at that, at when I saw that model, I immediately thought of. Uh, Sam Elliott from Tombstone and oh yeah, the Big Lebowski and sure. So so I <laughs> actually printed out a picture of him that I found online and used him as photo reference for painting that model. Oh, that's rad! When you picked up and you got to work, you know what? What are some kind of the, the pitfalls you find, or like the big differences in painting at that scale? 
Uh, the big difference is, so you can't shortcut as much stuff. Um, when painting, let's say you're painting for tabletop or whatever, the you you can't just like base coat, wash, and edge highlight a bust. It doesn't sure. work. Yeah. Uh, you you have to. That's when you really start to have to understand the volumes of the miniature. You need to understand the shapes. You need to understand how light and shadow falls on a model. Yeah, I was going to say, I bet lighting is a becomes a very critical element in that kind of painting. Yeah, there's there's no three step process to finish that one. <laughs> right, it's, it's a lot more artistic interpretation. You can you can apply way more different colors. Uh, recipes start to not work as well, right? Because if you only paint skin with, you know, cardic flesh and then Idrian whatever and then Rin flesh or whatever GW paints you have, you can't do that one, two, three, like dark yeah. mid-tone highlight. It, the skin doesn't have as much life in it because a real skin has all these small nuances in it. So maybe uh, he's got like a five o'clock shadow and the nose is slightly more red. Right. The, the ears is, are a little more red. And, and skin is like, is lightly translucent as well, which I think, you know, you don't really worry about a 28 millimeter for the most part, but I imagine that becomes much more obvious in a larger piece. Yeah, that's, you start, you start seeing those little things. So I think that's definitely one of the big differences that people might find when they go to paint. 28 millimeter is or larger than 28 millimeter is that like that that one two three recipe process you have to start making more decisions on your own yeah so do you do you airbrush primarily to get your, your base tones down for that kind of painting uh i know i don't airbrush that much i i tend to um i do the zenithal priming so uh -huh. you, know, you know base coat black spray from whatever angle you want your light source to be with white that gives you a quick idea of where your lights and shadows are and then i just go from there did you find that your your background in, in fine art and canvas painting came into play here yeah definitely i mean in just in general it's given me a better understanding of you know color theory which which colors work together how light and shadow um you know just how much contrast to have on the model how to be, you know, more refined with some basic training on how to be more refined with my brush strokes, how to control the brush. Those those things definitely transitioned over. Yeah, that stands to reason. Um, so here's a question. When you're, when you're painting these larger figures and you're not using an airbrush all that much, how do you avoid visible brush strokes on, like, say, large flat panels or pieces of clothing or such? Uh, that is That is all about just painting a smooth base coat, right? Like... If everyone tells people to thin their paints all the time, that's not necessarily true. You just want the application of the paint to be consistent. So, like, put a coat of paint down with a nice smooth brush stroke and then let it dry. And let it dry completely or use a hair dryer to dry it. Because if you go back, and I think everyone's experienced this, you, you paint a layer on and then you start to let it dry, and then you go to try and put yeah. a highlight on it or something, and then you accidentally remove part of the base coat. Yeah, you just hash it. And then it's just like, now you've got this weird coffee stain where you're trying to paint on top of it. Mm -hmm. So it's just put, put a, you want a nice, smooth, even base coat, and then you can paint on top of that and let that dry, and then, then you can start working, you know, your blends in between with glazing or, you know, hashing or however you want to do it, but... 
Yeah, it's important to let it dry through each step and get a nice, even application of the paint. Yeah, I imagine that's even trickier on these larger models because you, you get just a bigger volume of paint there, don't you? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't say these larger models are any bigger than, you know, um, a Dreadnought or we say like a large scale, but like a 75 millimeter model is no bigger than a heavy Warjack. Yeah, that's a fair point. <laughs> so was there a point when you were, you were painting this thing where you were like, I, at what point did you start to feel good that you were maybe going to do well in the competition for with it? Or, or did you feel that way at all? <laughs> I, I've learned to not have any expectations. Um, one of the big things I, I believe when painting for competition is that it's not a competition against other painters. It's a competition against myself. So I just try and do the best that I can possibly do. Mm-hmm. And I don't, and I don't worry about the competition or in, in fact, and now that I've been competing for a while and I've met so many other fantastic artists, a lot of us will give each other feedback on the models that we're about to enter in the same competition. Sure. So, and it's just everyone pushing each other to do better. So I really try and not think about too much, like how I'm going to perform the competition. Cause that's up to the judges and it gets subjective. So you mm-hmm. just put the best work you can do forward. And if you like the result, that's great. If people tell you that they enjoyed your model, that's even better. And Whatever the judges decide, the judges decide. <laughs> sure. So well, let, me, let me rephrase it. Was there a moment when you were painting the, the Nemo bust where you were like, oh, I think this is, I'm pretty happy with this? Yeah. I mean, there's always that, like, the terrible stage. I've, I think a lot of people yeah. go through where it's like, you're like halfway done with the model and you're like, oh, this is garbage. Like, why have I ruined this and, thing? <laughs> yeah. And you want to, like, you want to set it down or just, like, give up on it. Uh, you gotta just like power through that and just keep painting on it, or maybe you set it aside and work on something else for a little bit, but then come back to it. Like it's always gonna look bad at at some stage of the process, and you've gotta just work through that, and it eventually get to the point where you should hopefully be happy with it. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully, anyway. I I, I have a few dark moments with most large projects myself. <laughs> But um, yeah, so you brought it to lock and load, and you uh, you walked away with Grandmaster. How how was that? I was pretty crazy, man. Um, I had, I had, I like I said, I didn't have any expectations of of how I'm going to do. But you get a lot of uh, when you start getting a lot of people telling you they think you know you're going to win or whatever, it starts to like that builds more stress to me than than like actually putting it in oh bad <laughs> so when when people start like hyping it up that's when you're like oh man maybe i maybe i do stand a chance here or whatever <laughs> uh but yeah those, you get to get the butterflies and i definitely had those at my first few shows and they they go away eventually but yeah it's a it's it's a blast right on uh so coming away from that you know it, we, was that a point where you decided to start doing more, to start looking for more competitions then, or? Yeah, after that, I had ended up going to uh, War Machine Weekend, uh, met all the guys out there in St. Louis, a bunch of super cool people out there. Um, yeah, that St. Louis War Machine crew, so some good people in there. I tell you, man, like, the, the P3 Grandmaster, like, there's a lot of extremely good artists that have like won that award and gone on to win what people might consider like bigger or more prestigious awards because they're broader 
categories of painting, right? They're not just one manufacturer. Sure. Uh, but like a lot of like really great painters have come out of that competition and come out of the war machine community. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. I think, you know, one of the things privateer really has going for it on the hobby end is, is, is Ron Cruzy. I forget his exact title over there, but I know he's always one of the main judges on the, the P3 uh, stuff. And yeah. Ron is, he's, Ron's one of my hobby inspirations and idols. Um, anyway, he's just, he's just the coolest dude in general. Um, but I, I know so many painters who have benefited from his instruction you know, and have told me they, they love being judged by him. I, I think that's why P3 attracts such a high caliber of painter. Yeah, and it's it's an open judging format. So, you know, you've got you've got your really like two different styles of judging format. One I feel is very inclusive and encouraging. That's the open format that uh, P3 uses where there can be any number of gold, silvers, or bronzes given out. You're judged on your individual work and not necessarily judged directly against the other competition and then you're you've got your golden demon style of ranked first second third in each category and that's it so you could have 50 beautiful amazing pieces that would win gold in any other show that's an open format but then you get limited to just first second and third and golden demon right it's almost splitting hairs at that level of painting isn't it (laughs) Yeah, I mean, really, it is. It's like, oh, man, this, like, one brushstroke or, you know, this tiny technical flaw or the judge liked the one model over the other one, right? And that, to me, that, that one causes more stress and more um, tension between the other painters because they're like, well, I thought mine was really good. Why did you choose this one over this one? But if it was like, hey, you got a gold, I also got a gold. Yay, great. we all did great. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Um so you know, when you, you when you started looking for more competitions, you know what, what were some other models you worked on at that point? Were you, were you still just picking things that you thought were awesome? Yeah, I mean, I I've always just like picked the models I I enjoy, like what look cool, right? I mean, for a while I was way into War Machines and I painted more War Machine stuff. I painted a Borka bust for War Machine Weekend. After that, I had uh, I'm trying to remember what like competition stuff I had entered after that. Yeah, I mean, I just pick models that I think are cool. That, that speak to me and that's a character that I like or what subject matter that I like and that I that I want to paint. Right so uh, I enjoy Kingdom Death stuff, so I've painted Kingdom Death models for competition. I enjoy bus. I've started getting into more just like not gaming pieces. They're just, you know, models made. They're just fantasy models that are made to paint and look cool. So Yeah, there's some really nice like high-end boutique stuff in that level these days, isn't there? Yeah, there's a ton. There's honestly so many amazing companies making stuff out there that it's it's becoming quite saturated. A lot of really fantastic sculptors, and with 3D printing now, it's very accessible for companies to start up making miniatures. So yeah, for you get, sure, you get a lot of great stuff. So um, these days, you know, what, what kind of catches your eye in a miniature? Like, what, what gets you excited if not War Machine or Warhammer? Um, I tend to like more fantasy side stuff i like barbarians and vikings and uh, it's it's hard to say exactly a lot of times it's just like i'll see something on social media like a sculpt that i like and i'm just that that particular model speaks to me recently i had done a sculpt by uh robot rocket miniatures it's uh sculpted by a fantastic sculptor named aaron louise it's like a cyberpunk tengu awesome tengu um bust as one of the more challenging models i've ever painted but it's super rewarding in the end what makes it so challenging just the level of detail like the guy's got super detailed 
feathered wings and that he's got all this metallic plates and I like doing non-metallic metal, so got all that to worry about and there's a lot of uh interesting his pose is very interesting where his arms are crossed his chest, so you have to think about how the light would affect that and I don't know, it's it's all it was a lot of detail. So what we use when you're painting it, what what are some paints here? What are, what are your go-to paint lines I should just ask uh, if you have one? I I don't really have a specific go-to paint line. I tend to like more matte finished paints. So um Chimera Color is uh they're a smaller brand. They also make miniatures. Yeah, somebody in the Brushworkers chat was just talking about them last week. I wasn't familiar with them myself, but they look interesting. Yeah, Chimera has a range of paints. It's only like, I think it's 10 paints, uh, maybe 12. Um, it's uh, it's like basically your primary colors. And then, so you much more reliant on mixing them, but they have super saturated, extremely high pigment colors. So you um, get just beautiful, uh, pure colors. Like, the, they make the best red I've ever used. Really? Uh so they're great. Um, I like Vallejo model color. I like scale color. I like some of the Army Painter washes and inks. I like some of the P3 colors, like coal black, uh, Medoff white highlight. Like it's every, I don't, I don't limit myself to one range. Sure. No, I think you have to, especially at the level of painting you're doing at this point. Yeah, just try everything, and if you don't like it, you don't like it. Yeah. If it's if it's good, then use it. It's not. They're all acrylic paints, right. so you can. Mix and match. Yeah, for sure. Similarly, are there any brushes you swear by or don't like? Uh, you know, the brushes are one of the crazy things. And uh, for a while, like, I loved Windsor Newton, and then they had a problem with importing Kalinsky. I'll just say Kalinsky Sable brushes are the brushes that I use. Sure. Yeah, individual brushes. I've, I've gotten ones from Raphael or Windsor Newton that one might be great and the other one might be terrible and then it's the opposite and I don't know. Yeah. No, there definitely is some variation. Is there is there a size you tend to favor for like general work? I tend to use a, a zero, one, or two for almost everything, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't typically go smaller than a zero because I find that the, the paint just dries out too fast on yeah. the brush and it doesn't hold enough paint and I, I don't really go I don't paint anything large enough that I would need something over a, a two and if at that point I did I'd probably just use the airbrush, airbrush yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah I, I think that 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 one to two, and for me at least one and two is kind of my, my general go-to range I, I rarely go down to even even to a zero but I'm not I'm not doing the kind of detail work you are I mean I see the 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 brushes hold the same point, so yeah. I see people do. I see people do stuff with like quadruple zeros, and I'm like, man, you're just killing yourself. Yeah, it's gonna, <laughs> like it dries out, and then you gotta like clean off the tip of the brush and like yep. pick that little dried paint off the end, and then it's like, oh no, man, just get some paint in there and get to it. Yep, no, I'm really with you. Um, so I know you're starting to do some some painting instruction these days too, aren't you? Yeah, I'm teaching a. Uh, teaching a few classes, teaching two workshops at Adepticon. I'm teaching two seven-hour non-metallic metal workshops. It is uh, Thursday and Friday from 8.30 to 3.30. I don't know if that's officially like the times. That's the preview right. that they've got up on the site right now, but I believe that's the times it will be. Um, so it's a full hands-on seven-hour workshop. Learned, we're going to 
paint a model from start to as close as we can get it to done. That's very cool. Um, have you done any classes before? Or is that gonna be your first one? No, I've taught some classes at. Uh, I taught some classes at War Machine Weekend. I taught some classes at Nova Open. So, right on. So you know, how, how did you kind of get into into teaching? I got into teaching because War Machine Weekend had asked me if I wanted to teach a class. So good, good answer. Uh, and Andy, Andy asked me if I wanted to teach a class, and I said, "Sure, I'll do it." And that's that's how I kind of got started. Right on. So so you know what what goes into one of your classes? Uh, right. So most of most of my classes so far have been shorter classes. I have. This this is my first like long block class. Um, I've taught some longer classes at the local game store, but uh, it's it's a little different of a setting because they're all people you know. Right, it's more intimate. And, yeah. Um, so most of my classes so far have been demonstration classes. So I'm pretty excited to do full hands on class with new fresh faces and should be fun. Yeah, that's cool. So can you talk a little bit about what you have planned? Yeah, we're actually going to paint. Uh, there's a manufacturer called Black Sun Miniatures. They have a new model coming out called Sienna Starkiller. She's like a, I think how to describe her. She looks kind of like she's in Mass Effect armor, but she's got like a giant sword over her shoulder. It's a uh, Raul Latore sculpt. He's a Spanish sculptor. He's amazing. Uh, so that one should be super fun. Well, that's cool. So you know, so if you if say I sign up for your class and I sit down, what what can I expect to happen? So what will happen is I will give you a primed miniature. Okay. Uh, we'll I'll go over probably a lecture for about an hour, and then we'll have six hours of you, uh, five other students because they're these are smaller limited classes. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, and, that's great. And then we'll just hands on paint non-metallic metal for six hours and right on so i'll then, go around and watch watch what you're doing give any you know fee, i can give individual feedback to everybody and try and try and get everybody to you know understand to the same point super cool so non-metallic metals is the focus then yeah for this workshop that's 100 percent the focus right on um so will you will you will you just kind of just be painting the metals then or are you going to kind of paint other things for context or yeah i mean if people want to you know, she's she doesn't have a whole lot on her that could not be painted metal. Uh -huh. Her because her armor is very like that Mass Effect style. Sure, uh, you could basically paint all of the model except her face metal if you wanted to. I think she has like a loincloth. Uh huh. So right on. Um, yeah, I mean that's really cool because I think non-metallic metals is one of those those particularly intimidating skills to master in the hobby, isn't it? I don't know if. Uh, there, there's a couple people I would consider like true masters of it. Uh -huh. I don't know if it's one of those skills that's ever perfected, right? Yeah, it's a, it is, it's something really hard to legitimately trick people, where they look at it and they can't tell whether it's metal or non-metallic metal. Sure. So I think that's one you're all, everyone's just practicing. I've, I feel like I've gotten to a pretty high level of it at this point and can pass on that knowledge but yeah it's it's one of those it's definitely one of the harder uh techniques and i get it has such a, a, a brutal focus on, on getting your light source right doesn't it it's a it's all about getting the that light source right being consistent about where you place your reflections how you 
paint reg highlights what colors you use in the reflections because if any of those fall apart like you might not know what had to paint non-metallic metal but you know what metal looks like and if something's wrong with it you can tell that it's not metal like your brain immediately recognizes like no that's that something's wrong there right so (laughs) so being able to get to to the point where you could legitimately fool someone even if it's just for a second right before they get a chance to turn the model and see that the reflections don't move right like yeah it really only works from one angle doesn't it yeah so you can get it, it you can definitely get it to work from more than one angle it's when it's in motion that right. it does it, it kind of that makes the, sense. the illusion doesn't work um there's a painter a russian painter named kirill Kaneev. he's probably one of the best painter miniature painters in the world he paints non-metallic metal so well that like if you're holding the miniature and you stop you're like that's real metal and then you turn it, and as it's moving, you're like, oh, never mind. And then you stop it, and you're like, no, that's real metal. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So do you have any, like, what are the fundamentals of that, if you can talk about that for a minute, maybe, about, about getting that, that, that basic theory behind the non-metallic metals working? So I would say the, the main points of it is being consistent with the angles of your reflections, right? So if you, if you understand, like, the way let's take a very simple shape like a staircase form right each of the tops of the staircase that zigzag will all share the same reflection all the way down right Mm -hmm. where the the other the front side of them will reflect whatever's in front of them so if you can expand that to the larger forms of an entire miniature any of the planes that face that are facing that direction should share similar reflections. Any of the planes that are facing the ground should be reflecting the colors of the ground. All your edges should be highlight, and you have to paint with more contrast on non-metallic metal than anywhere else on the miniature because it's going to have the deepest dark reflections and the brightest bright reflections. That does sound challenging. (laughs) Yeah, I'm, I'm just sitting here thinking that through, and I'm like, hmm, yeah, I, I need to see that in person to have any kind of hope of, of getting anywhere with it. Every, every six uh, months or like... so, I'm like, I should learn non-metallic metals, and I watch some tutorials, and I'm like, hmm, maybe next year. And that's why it's a seven-hour-long class. Yeah, I'm sure. That sounds really rewarding, though. <laughs> so do, do you have any other classes in mind for the future? Uh, that's, the, that's the only one I'm teaching for. That's going to take up two, two whole of my days for Adepticon, so those are the only two I'm teaching there, but I should be teaching some more classes at Nova. I know I've already been requested by some people to teach my OSL class again. Um, I'll probably teach non-metallic metal again and maybe come up with some new class. Is there, is there any subject you're just, like, dying to tackle? Um, so one of the things I've been playing around, uh, my, roast, my most recent model I did, one of the things I've been playing around with uh, technique-wise is painting casted shadows. Interesting. Uh, I think it's, I think it's something that can be very interesting on a model and not something that uh, you see a whole yeah. lot. So, I think I think it's an it adds another depth uh, there and another another layer of realism because uh, everything we paint is like bathed in this like soft box light. Great. Right. Uh, so there's like no harsh shadows. So. Uh, that was something I played around with a lot on my most recent piece, and I think it could be. I I, I definitely need to refine it more and uh, 
try and understand it even further before I go teaching a class about it. But sure. I think it could be something cool. No, that sounds really interesting. You know, there's there's a, a very half-assed idea I've been kicking around for a year or two um, when I got into, uh, you know, Test of Honor, the Samurai Miniatures game? Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought it'd be really cool to get a bunch of those and do a whole, like, two-player, like, sort of, I'm not say board game, but like a two-player, like, mini-game and a table all done in black and white, like, you know, a Kurosawa Samurai film. I started messing yeah. around with the idea, and I was like, "Man, the shadows are just going to kill me. Like, if I can't if I can't get a good handle on that, this project's just not going to happen." So uh, yeah, it's, at that point, it becomes all about the contrast, right? Because that's all you've got. Yeah, <laughs> you've got exactly. Nothing but nothing but light and dark contrast. I mean, ignoring the color contrast and all the other sorts of kinds of contrast. What most people understand is like contrast. That's the that's that's all you've got to work with. Yeah, that's the bare bones of it, right? And it's it's just one hundred percent grayscale. Like, yeah, I'd even do want to do you know the terrain and the board in in that 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 scheme. But yeah, it's just daunting. I think it's interesting to hear you talking about that. You hear a lot about you know um, object source lighting and stuff. But, you know, shadows are definitely a part of that. But I, I rarely hear anybody talking about you know the shadow as its own element. Yeah, man, casted shadows is. Uh, I, I think it turned out really successful and. Um, there's another painter, uh, if you've heard of Big Child Miniatures, there's another painter, Ruben Martinez, who's one of one of the uh, one of my favorite miniature painters. He's uh, been playing around with it quite a bit too. Uh, he did the if if you're familiar with any of the pieces from Crystal Brush this year, he did the Ulrich the Slayer Space Wolf uh, piece. I think I remember that. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's what I'm thinking of. So, you know, I, I know you're pretty focused on on displaying competitive painting these days, but is there any sort of you know, just general, like, work and life advice you've learned as a painter you think would be worth passing on to people? Yeah, man. Um, it's just practice, right? And paint what you enjoy. That's what's really important. Uh, if you're not enjoying it, like, you just paint something else. Um, I know, like, some people kill themselves over trying to paint. Like, I'm, I'm going to pick... Uh, I'm going to do an Imperial Fist army and paint it all yellow. And then they decide that, oh my God, yellow is a nightmare and I don't want to paint yellow <laughs> anymore. <laughs> like find something that you really enjoy doing. And I, I know like painting armies can be a pain, right? Like you paint uh, 40 guys all in the same color scheme and you're like, I'm so sick of painting this whatever color. Like uh, one of the things I would like to do is I'd, I'd paint, um, especially in War Machine, where I had, uh, you had, like, mercenary solos and stuff. I'd paint a Signar unit, and it's all blue and whatever. I've got, like, 65 painted trenchers. So I'd do, like, 10 trenchers, and then I'd pick a model that's completely different that's, like, a mercenary model, yeah. and I'd paint that. And then I'd paint, and then I'd go back, and I'd paint 10 more trenchers, and then I'd paint something else that's wacky and different. Yeah. So... No, I'm actually in the middle of painting a, a, a large ultramarines army for a friend, so I'm 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 very very tired of painting blue at the moment. But you know what what I've been doing is I I've got a, a Warhammer Chimera monster, and you know every every now and then I just put down the ultramarines for a couple that I've been working on. And I'll spend an hour just like painting nice like you know organic fur and like crazy monster colors on this thing, and it's so therapeutic as a as a change of pace. Yeah, it's, it's definitely refreshing, and and knowing. Uh, knowing what's the right level of finish, right? Like you don't have to stress about every model being perfect. Um, I I know. Well, you do apparently. No, I definitely don't. <laughs> your death guard. No, I definitely don't. Um, that you people like to bring up that term 
you know, tabletop standard. I think it's important for everyone to have their own their own definition of what that is. Yeah. Right? So my table my tabletop standard is not my competition standard. Sure. I'm I'm willing to have uh, Joe Schmo number one of whatever tactical squad unit not be painted as good as Marnius Calgar. Yeah. Like <laughs> I, they don't need the, all the like if I'm painting a bunch of faceless guys like I'm. They're not. I'm not going to paint the eyes on every one of them because they're going to die, and I don't care. <laughs> right. Like in some cases, you're you know, you're, you're going to put six hours of work into a guy who's on the table for literally ten minutes before you know he eats mm-hmm. a bolt gun to the head. Yeah. So so knowing knowing they need to be consistent. Like they need to be visually consistent, mm-hmm. but they don't all have to be the same level of refinement. And, and removing that stress from yourself can make it much easier to get. Uh, an army finished. Yeah, no, I mean that makes perfect sense to me. No, I think that's really good advice. Yeah, I, I sort of, I sort of ended up in that point myself, where you know, you know, when I'm painting a large army at this point, I'm just like, yeah, you know, troopers one, two, and three, they're good enough. Maybe I'll put a little more extra time into the sergeant, but I'm not going to torture myself over ten uh, guardsmen with las guns, right? Yeah, put the extra effort if you want to paint a centerpiece model. Put the extra effort into the, you know, your HQ or who your librarian or your yeah. you know, farseer or whatever. Those are the guys that deserve, they're the, for one, they're probably the better looking model. Yep. So you're going to have more fun painting them. So they're, they're the ones you put the extra time into. So you, when you're doing this kind of stuff, do you, are there any maybe like quick tips or tricks, you know, to, to, that you can apply to like rapidly elevate the look of a tabletop force? So my, my big things when painting tabletop and it, it depends on the specific model, right? Like, Space Marines are a little harder. Space Marine, like if I were gonna do Space Marines, I'd be like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna airbrush everything. I'm gonna do I'm gonna do all the base coats and like my first or maybe even second levels of highlights with the airbrush, and then I'll wash or not wash, but like dark line the you know the the panel lines uh-huh. and paint all the the black parts, and then I'll edge highlight, and that's good enough. Right. I don't need yeah. I don't need to go crazy on trying to do little nicks and weathering and perfect blending on everything. Airbrush will get you seventy five percent of the way there. The dark lines and the edge highlights, that's what gives you the def like the the definition of being able to see what that identify what that model is, be able to see see the shapes of the model mm-hmm. and he's gonna look good from two feet away. He'll look just as good as a perfectly painted model will from two or three yeah. feet away. And that's, that's really how so you're that's, always going to look at them right on the table, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, unless somebody picks up your model to take a closer look at it. Yeah. That's how, that's how you're going to be experiencing it. So I think really that's the, that's the most important part is just to dark lines and edge highlights <laughs> for tabletop models that will get you looking better than 90% of the stuff out there where people try and maybe have all these perfectly smooth blends, but then everything kind of washes together because they didn't define the edges of like between his boots and his pants and his boots are Brown and his pants are a light, a shade of Brown. There's no dark line in between the transition for me to be able to see the difference. Mm -hmm. So it just kind of becomes, uh, I don't know. (laughs) Blurry. Yeah. It becomes blurry. Yeah. I think that's, that's really good advice. Um, so, you know, before I was curious, is there anything you're, you're working on right now that you're particularly excited about that you can talk about? 
Yeah, I'm working on a uh, I'm working on a piece of uh, war from Darksiders uh, for for a guy you might know named Will Pagani. I, I do know Mr. Pagani. Mr. Pagani is actually a member of the Brush Builders Union. Yeah, I am. I am painting a piece for him right now. It is uh, a 75 millimeter model of war from Darksiders. Awesome. How's that going? Uh, pretty good. Doing some uh, doing some non-metallic metal. Doing some osl trying to bring everything in another thing i'd like to work on is doing like large two-dimensional backdrops so i've got a plan to paint like a a nice flat backdrop on him and uh should be should be a neat one when it's finished that sounds awesome big yeah i can't wait to see that i'm sure we'll be showing it off yeah i've been posting some uh some work in progress photos on my instagram so you know if anybody wants to Check them out and check them out there. Yeah, great. The link will be in the uh, the show notes for sure. Cool, Eric. Well, man, th- thanks for taking the time to talk to us. It's been really interesting. And you know, hearing all about non-metallic metals and comp- competition painting at your level is always just really fascinating, even if you're not doing it yourself. Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely. I think it's worth trying, right? For anybody that enjoys painting, the Nova Open, for example, has a has a beginner level painting competition. Yeah. So if you've been painting less than a year, you can enter at a level at a painting competition and get feedback and see where you're at compared to your peers or whatnot. And they've got an intermediate tier and they've got a master's tier. So you don't have to worry sure. about competing against me if you <laughs> right. compete at one of those shows. Because I know some people get uh, intimidated, like the Crystal Brush, for example, yeah. had some of the best painters in the world, but it also had pretty low attendance because people were, you know, intimidated to enter that that competition yeah well i think when that kind of money's on the line that can be intimidating in and of itself too right yeah that's cool though all right man well thanks again for talking to us you know um if you're listening and you want to take one of eric's classes sign up for him at adepticon or hopefully nova open next year and uh my link to uh, his instagram in the show notes eric thanks again man it's been great talking to you it's been great talking to you man and uh hope everybody have happy painting (laughs) thanks dude talk to you soon Brush Builders Union is a community of like-minded miniatures gamers dedicated to playing their games fully painted and supporting one another in their craft. Brush Builders Union is here to help you stay on track with tools and a community of fellow painters to encourage you in your journey. Take the Union Pledge and learn more at brushbuildersunion.com.